In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This past August, Kate and I and the boys traveled to my childhood home in Minneapolis. Not long before the trip, my parents told me that they would be moving out of the city in September, and this would be our last chance to stay in our family home. I knew this time would come, but it still surprised me. They have owned the home for 43 years. My brothers and I know no other home. It has been the center of our family life for so long. There is no physical structure that I know better than this house. I know every floorboard that creaks and how sunlight shines through the windows in different seasons. I know how the winter sun warms up certain parts of the oriental rug in the dining room and the exact sound of the red screen door slamming shut. There is nowhere that I know so well And there is nowhere that comforts me so much. One morning during our trip, I was roused early by our new baby, Ronan. So I brought him downstairs, and I laid him on the faded oriental rug. As I sat there, thoughtlessly staring down at my son, I was suddenly overwhelmed by the passage of time. I broke down. I couldn't believe that so much joy and hardship could be woven so tightly in one place, and that this place would soon be in the hands of another. It seemed impossible that someone else could live within those walls. As I sat there, I was struck by the impermanence of things. We all know at some level that life is transient, and that the world is passing away, as St. John tells us. We know this, but we don't act like it. We pretend that things won't change. We grasp the things of this world as if they are eternal and will offer us lasting peace, but they don't. There is not one thing that we own that won't one day turn to dust, and we ourselves will return to the dust, and so will everyone we know and love. We cannot find real peace in the things that are passing away, and it's dangerous to try. We must fix our hearts on what is eternal, on the one who endured death and came out the other side. Here is the scary reality. If our love does not transcend the things of this world, then we will suffer the same fate as the things of this world. We only live as long as what we love. If we love what is eternal above all else, then we will be eternal. We live eternally when we love the one who is eternal. 
If we love what moth and rust can corrupt, then we will come to the same end. We will dissolve into oblivion. We turn into what we love. Our culture tells us that we can be satisfied in the things of this world. It tells us to live and move and have our being in the transient world of power, wealth, and social status. It tells us that we can find true happiness in our appearance, our intelligence, and what we own. It relentlessly tries to convince us that we can find lasting joy in what is essentially dust. We are lied to constantly. Our culture seduces us into idol worship. The novelist David Foster Wallace reminds us that hell begins early for those who choose to love the wrong things. He says that we all worship something. It's an anthropological fact. The crucial question is not, will we worship, but what will we worship? The only choice we have is the choice of what to worship. He says that if we fail to direct our worship towards the transcendent, then we will worship the things of this world, and this worldly worship will eat us alive. If you worship money and things, he writes, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Wallace says that we gradually slip into this kind of worship day after day, getting more and more selective about what we see and how we measure value, without ever being fully aware that that's what we're doing. Loving the wrong things and setting our hearts on what is worldly begins to destroy us in this life. St. Chrysostom says that even in this life, such idolatry trails immense harm in its path with losses unspeakable. How great is that darkness for those who attach their hearts to moth and rust doth corrupt. St. Augustine implores us to fix our heart on that which will abide forever, the eternal Son of God. This is the way home. This is the way to our true home. Jesus concludes our gospel passage with a warning. He warns us of a specific kind of disordered love, the love of wealth. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. To set the choice between these two masters in full relief, Jesus personifies wealth as mammon and says wealth is really a rival God competing for our loyalty. Just as we cannot choose not to worship, so we also cannot choose not to serve. We serve instinctively. We are creatures made for service. 
And Jesus warns us how dangerously quick wealth can usurp God's place in our lives. We don't have to be rich to give inordinate attention to money or to passionately yearn after it. It's easy to slip into the service of mammon no matter who you are. Sometimes we tell ourselves that it's financial security that we really desire and nothing more. And then we pursue our own security with a religious zeal. And in doing so, we serve mammon. Mammon's grip on our lives must be loosened before we can serve God with our whole heart, mind, and soul. We must choose one or the other. And this is a choice between life and death. Jesus is not saying that being wealthy is a sin or that worldly gain is inherently bad. He is concerned with what we do with our wealth and worldly gain. Are we like the rich farmer in his parable who builds large storehouses that contain his surplus and then takes life easy? Remember God's response to the farmer. He says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus tells us that this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. It's not making money that's the problem. It's what we do with it once we've made it. Being generous with what we have is a matter of life and death. We must be rich towards God. In being generous with our resources, we store up treasure in heaven. This may sound too simple and transactional, but it's true. What we give in love and generosity is eternal because love is eternal. Love transcends this world and connects us with the next. The world will pass away, but love will not. Giving generously is also a medicine for the sickness of greed. The act of giving loosens our attachment to the things that cannot offer us real peace. It helps train us to see our possessions as God's and not our own so that when our life is demanded of us, we don't share the fate of Lot's wife, who longed after the smoldering city she left behind and was tragically turned into what she loved. We know that we must be rich towards God because he has been so generous to us, but how much should we give? C.S. Lewis gives some advice on the matter made me squirm as I read it, and I suspect it will make you squirm too. He says, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities don't pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable giving, etc. 
excludes them. God does not desire us to give generously because he wants to impose hardship on us. God is not penalizing us. He is training us. He is preparing us to enter the divine life of God, which is the eternal self-giving love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God tells us to give because he wants us to be like himself. He wants to acclimatize us to his way of being. He is preparing us to go home. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.